Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Friday, January 29th, 2021, as we record this episode. Typically, this day would be very busy for us at Sox Machine, attending Sox Fest. Alas, thanks to the COVID pandemic still carrying on, there is no Sox Fest. But there is plenty to discuss as other teams in Major League Baseball are finally ramping up their offseason activity, except for the White Sox, who have been very quiet since signing Liam Hendricks, and according to USA Today's Bob Nightingale, are, quote, financially tapped, end quote. Speaking to people who I trust as sources within the White Sox organization, That seems to be true. So if the White Sox are done adding this offseason, how do the projections look for them in 2021? Well, to help answer that question is our best friend of the show, the creator of Zips and the senior writer at Vangraphs.com. It's Dan Zaborski. And hello, Dan. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Josh. Always fun to join. Uh, And we have things to talk about, which is good because at some point my editor was going to ask me, hey, uh, Dan, what are you going to write about? I'd be like, I don't know something video games maybe (laughs) yeah yeah and uh it is timely because uh as of this morning before we we recorded it was uh announced that the chicago cubs are going to be signing jock peterson to a one-year seven million dollar contract that comes with five hundred thousand dollars in incentives fast uh, you know rewind back at the beginning of this offseason the white Sox jumped the gun 
in the outfield, the corner outfield market, as they signed Adam Yeen to a one-year, seven million dollar contract for 2021. That comes with a one million dollar buyout if the White Sox don't pick up the eight and a half million dollar option for the 2022 season. So Jock Peterson could make seven and a half million dollars with the Chicago Cubs. Adam Eaton is making at least $8 million signing with the Chicago White Sox. Very similar deals, but different types of players, Dan. And when it comes to this corner outfield signing and looking at the Chicago White Sox roster, which deal do you like better? The one Jock Peterson got or Adam Eaton? Well, I like the the Peterson deal better. But of course, you all, we don't actually know if he would have played in Chicago for the same money or wanted to. So that's always, you know, a complicating question. But I would have preferred to have Jock Peterson. Uh, you can still play him in center in a pinch. You can't really do that for uh, for Eaton at this point. At least you probably shouldn't. Uh, I, I think that it would have given the, the White Sox more flexibility if another bat had come along this offseason or in the middle of the year. Then you can probably have him play some more center and work that guy into the lineup. Uh, I, I would have preferred it. Uh, from the Cubs' point of view, I'm not sure why they didn't just keep Schwarber in the first place instead of this this <laughs> weird merry-go-round. Uh, my personal theory is that one of the Ricketts is is one of those Wall Street bets guys that uh, he's Thick Dad's bet or whatever that guy's name was, uh, and and he's 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 making some GameStop cash. Uh, but it's it's fine. I mean, Jock Peterson probably won't be the between you know a great season for Adam Eaton. What? are the projections for him again going into this 2021 season? Because I think the last time you and I spoke about the projections, Adam Eaton had not signed with the White Sox, and they were still exploring their right field options. Well, it, obviously his projections are down significantly from a few years ago. Uh, he's he's on the wrong side of 30 now. He's, he's His health hasn't been great, relatively speaking. Uh, I mean, he was healthy in 2019 when he went to the World Series, but, you know, he missed most of 2017, half of 2018. Uh, and he did not play very well at all in, in 2020. His his hitting's down. His offense was down. Uh, I mean, this was a guy who had, uh, you know, 390 on base percentages for two years. Uh, of course, one of them was like 20 games or something, so maybe that's a little, little too uh, generous. But, I mean, I think he'll be fine, and I think he's – better than the alternatives that the White Sox had in organization. Uh, it's just it's just not a signing I was ever crazy about. We are hoping that he is an upgrade over Nomar Mazzara, who is still unsigned. Yeah, I, I think he will be. Uh, this is projection for Eaton. Uh, I mean, it's not great. It's 1.7 war. But, you know, it's a 740 OPS. That's better than what Nomar was doing. And I think that, you know, the White Sox are in a different position than they were a year ago. Uh, going into 2020, they were a possible contender. Uh, so at that point, it still makes sense to take a flyer on a guy like Nomar. Uh, but it's a lot harder to do when you know you're a contender. When you know you're a contender, how you look at risk has to change a little bit. And you can't really go after Nomars. You have to go after kind of the more certain uh, guys. Now, Eaton doesn't have any upside really, but he's probably a much safer bet. And I think that, you know, given the choice, you want – the White Sox want guys that are safer bets at this point. So you think from a White Sox perspective, the direction that they went, because I feel like they jumped the gun in the corner outfield market, that maybe they had set the price by signing Adam Eaton to the contract that they have. And given the preference between Jock Peterson and Adam Eaton, I think the White Sox should have signed Jock Peterson 
if they had known when they signed Adam Eaton that it would be this type of deal that Peterson would ultimately sign for. And maybe that suggests, well, the White Sox should have been a little bit more patient signing a corner outfielder. I know we, as far as bloggers and writers and the media in town and fans would have been very anxious in late January if they had not signed a corner outfielder uh, with spring training uh, coming up pretty quickly here in the next couple of weeks. I feel like though the White Sox should have signed Jock Peterson, especially now with the deal that he signed with the Cubs. But as you just mentioned, Dan, maybe they did pick the right direction because Adamine is a safer projected player other than Jock Peterson, who has a higher ceiling but might have a lower floor. Yeah, I I, I mean, I'd still take Peterson given the choice. Uh, I don't think Eaton will make or break the season. I guess the best I could say about, you know, the, the Eaton, Eaton uh, signing is that it's not a bad signing. It's just kind of uninspiring. Now, like closing a deal with George Springer, that would have been a considerably more uh, inspiring move uh, because there's just not a da- lot of daylight between the White Sox and the Twins right now. There wasn't last week. There still isn't now. Uh, and with the Indians looking a lot like they're going to fall back, I mean, they've they lost Lindor, and that's going to be pretty hard for that offense to to deal with. I, I think this was a good opportunity to spend a little more. And, of course, there's always a difference between being actually tapped out and tapped out based on the payroll you're given. Because in the end, the front office can only work with what they're given. Uh, and in the end, that's, you know, it's it's on Mr. Reinsdorf to, to decide some of this. Right, which is always one of our favorite topics. But... <laughs> Still sticking with this far as Zips projection, something that did surprise me because you uploaded the 2021 Zips projections on Fangraphs. By the way, it's a great tool to help set up your fantasy baseball draft boards and for those that participate in Major League Baseball prop betting. Uh, when you uploaded those Zips projections and I was taking a look at them, it was easy to find a great discovery immediately. And that great discovery is that Lucas Giolito is the top projected pitcher in Major League Baseball for the upcoming season, according to Zips. What aspects of Giolito's game does Zip look at, Dan, and say, this is why I'm giving him the highest war projection? Uh, well, well, there are a few things that gave him the edge slightly over Cole and, and DeGrom. Uh, one, of the, one of the things is that Giolito's ceiling is still com- not really known uh, the way it is for, say, Cole or, or DeGrom. So you say, hey, you know, where, where, where could he go? And, I mean, he's still a relatively young pitcher. I mean, he's not 22 anymore. But, I mean, he's going to be 27 and around midseason. That's still a relatively young pitcher. There's still growth left. And another thing is, is from his contact data – uh, from you know the play discipline stats that are collected against him, uh, he they improved more than you saw in the strikeout rate. His strikeout rate did tick up, uh, but you, you'll see zips with a, a very optimistic strikeout rate because it thinks there's a possibility there's still some left in there uh, for, from from the rate. Because if 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 you look at the play discipline data, uh, his contact rate continued to improve. Uh, he's actually nearly. Tw- you, Compared to 2018, he was almost twice as likely to for a batter to swing and miss against him uh, than he was in 2018. Uh, in, in 2020, uh, the the out of contact rate has went way down, something like from like 50 percent to 40 percent, and big drops like that are pretty hard. Uh, so it sees that there is 
you know, upside potential left. And upside potential will, of course, shade the projection a certain way because there are more more pleasant, optimistic scenarios out there. So it, it might not happen, but it's an interesting bet. Uh, and, you know, people always get annoyed when, you know, projection systems don't go out on a limb. But I think taking Giolito essentially is the best picture in baseball – I think that's a limb that that as if is going on, and so we'll see if it works. There's, there are no guarantees in projections, uh, but it would be fun to watch. Well, going back as far as out on a limb, one of the things that surprised me last year was to see how much Zips liked Shane Bieber, and I looked at the prop bets and I looked at the odds, and I put some money down on Shane Bieber to win the American League Cy Young, and thank you, Zips. Uh, I made some money uh, off that bet uh, last February uh, before pitchers and catchers reported to spring training. Uh, so for Giolito, I think he's going to be a pretty popular bet as far as the sports books and might be a popular pick to be the preseason 2021 American League Cy Young, which is, uh, which is always great to see as far as White Sox fans, especially watching Lucas Giolito bounce back from his brutal 2018 season and now climb up uh, to be one of the most projected best pitchers in all of baseball. We, we brought Michael Fisher on a previous episode of the podcast, Dan, and he, of course, is a, a, with Codify, and he works with Lucas Giolito mapping out as far as pitching game plans for each of the starts. He and I thought that for sure Giolito is a top 10 pitcher in Major League Baseball right now. What does your gut tell you as far as that statement? Would you consider Lucas Giolito, out of all the starting pitchers in Major League Baseball, a top 10 pitcher in the game right now? I think I would because even if I'd say, hey, I like DeGrom a little better, I don't think I like, you know, 10 guys better than Giolito. Uh, I I mean, sometimes, you know, you know I'm going dis- to disagree with the projections. Sometimes I'm right. Sometimes Zips is right. Uh, but I, I, I think it makes a good argument here. Uh, he, he's a fascinating picture, and he was someone that Zips really liked as a prospect. Uh, it soured on him con- considerably around 2017 for obvious reasons. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't positive about him in two- 2019 uh, compared to Bieber because there was a lot of risk in him. But Zips turned around pretty quickly. It, did a, it, it projected very little regression in 2020 after his 2019 season, and it, it still likes him. And it's, I, I tend to agree with Zips this time. So back to the White Sox roster construction and the conversations that are very much ongoing on Sox Machine in the comments section or on Twitter between White Sox fans. And I wanted to get your thoughts about these specific roster construction points, Dan. So I'm going to ask you about the the specific areas of the White Sox as of right now on January 29th as we're just a couple weeks away from spring training. And again, piggybacking on the thought that the White Sox are, quote, end quote, financially tapped, and we're not going to expect them to make any other big roster decisions or signings or trades. So I want to start at backup catcher. Right now, Dan, we are looking at the White Sox catching situation to start the 2021 season as being Yasmani Grandal and Zach Collins. Do you think that's a good idea or bad idea for the White Sox to pencil in Collins as their primary backup catcher to Grandal to start the 2021 season? I, I think it is a little risky, uh, simply because, as I said before, the White Sox are in a position to be a little less risk averse, uh, and you and you like to see Grandal, if possible, uh, 
be able to, you know, rest as much as possible because, you know, he's a, he's a character in his thirties. You would like, you know, at times to see him at first base more often and having James McCann, uh, available, uh, to, to, to let him do that was a good thing. Now, obviously you, you couldn't give McCann that kind of money to be the backup again. Uh, but I would like to see, even if it's just kind of, you know, a, a Martin Maldonado-ish stopgap backup, maybe even someone not as good as Martin Maldonado. I don't know why I'm picking on him. Uh, I, 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 I'd like to see another option there. I'm not convinced that Collins can hold up if be, if asked to, you know, take over the full-time job for uh, a long period. Uh, I don't know if his defense is up to it. Uh, I think he's more interesting as kind of a catcher, first base, DH, right-handed pinch hitter backup type. Uh, and I don't think that, that that the White Sox will be in a good position if something happens to Grandal. Uh, they, I mean, there's still players out there. I mean, when they say they're done, I mean, there's still the possibility of, you know, very inexpensive contracts. They're probably not going to, you know, bring in Yadi Molina to be the backup or anything. But uh, isn't Tyler Flowers still out there? Yeah, Flowers is still out there. I mentioned this because it seems like the backup catcher market is like $2 million. Like Wilson Ramos just signed for... $2 million to play with the Detroit Tigers in 2021. Now Ramos may get the bulk of the starts uh, with the Detroit Tigers. And maybe that's why he went that way uh, and said, you know, because he'll get more plate appearances and maybe they'll help him get more money if he performs well with Detroit uh, next season when he gets back into the free agent market again. But that's where I'm just, I'm looking around at all these backup catchers that are signing for one and a half to $2 million and, and I wonder if that's a better direction for the White Sox to go rather than just say, you know, it's time for Zach Collins to prove that he can catch and play the position defensively in the, major, in, in the majors in a season that you are hoping to be an American League contender and winning the pennant. I, I think the problem here uh, with, with Collins is that 2020 kind of cost him the opportunity to have a minor league season to work uh, on his defense there because in 2020 he played he started one game at catcher and that was his experience for an entire season at age 25 and that kind of stinks uh he i think the he hasn't you know been like an like a seven like an 80 game catcher since he was in the low minors uh i'd have to talk slowly while i pull it up yeah he hasn't since he had 87 games in 2017 at catcher uh the thing is, experience is is required, and it would be nice if he had been able to play a AAA or somewhere uh, to to actually get that experience. But he doesn't have it, and I think it's risky in the White Sox position. Uh, I mean, there's other guys out there. I, I I wouldn't be averse because, I mean, if I feel comfortable just having someone like Matt Weeders around, uh, someone who yeah. isn't going to be the starter, obviously. Or even challenge or, or get Grundall more days of rest, but someone who can pitch in in an emergency. Uh, and I can't believe they're really out of money for someone like that. Because if they're so strapped for cash that even bringing in someone for $1 million is a problem, then it kind of goes back to the Adam Eaton signing. If your margins are that small, then do you actually do that signing? Uh, and I'm not sure you do under, under that set of facts. Uh, so it's it's a real conundrum. I'd be inclined to uh, – what is his option situation? 
Zach Collins. Do you know offhand? I think he might be out of options now. Oh, is he? Oh, that complicates things. Ooh, that's a tough decision now. Yeah, the the 2020 season kind of messed up all my options in my head now. Yeah, this is a good question. This is riveting podcasting here as Dan and I are looking <laughs> up at the the cat the option situation for Zach Collins. I you know it, it does make me wonder cuz we we're seeing this with college baseball and college athletics in which the NCAA is not counting this year as a year against your eligibility. I wonder if Major League Baseball and the Players Association should have done that with options. I think that they might have run into a problem, I don't know, because it does kind of give See, everyone else kind of got a year of service time. Right. And in a way, it kind of makes, like, minor leaguers tied to their teams for longer. Uh, now, of course, the Major League Players Union isn't really averse to throwing the uh, minor leaguers under the bus uh, when the opportunity arises. Uh, but that, that it, it's just it's it's just difficult. The, the missing year, as necessary as it was to not start early, it does create, you know, a lot of decision problems for teams. And I think everybody's kind of in the same boat with that, at least. Collins does have one option remaining. Okay, well, I think in that case I, I would uh, start him off in the minors, let him catch full time. Uh, even even if they think they might want to see him more at first, I think you really want to just catch him full time at this point in the minors. Got it. Got it. So you would recommend the White Sox spending a little money and bringing in another backup catcher just in case if Grundahl, God forbid, had to go on the 10-day injured list. Yeah, uh, I don't even want to think about it. I mean, if that were to come to if that were to happen and the White Sox don't sign a backup catcher, Dan, that is going to be a very rough 10 days for me because that's Zach Collins and your Mercedes as your catchers. Yeah, it, 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 it would be worse, even worse if we're talking the 60 day injured list. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, they would be in trouble. Big trouble. OK, so that's the backup catcher topic that's been very popular the other one is back in the starting rotation and we are starting to see pitchers sign for five million here eight million seems to be a pretty popular price tag adam wainwright is signing for that much to go back to the st louis cardinals jose quintana is going to the angels for a similar value and when you look at the white Sox starting rotation as of right now it's lucas giolito lance lynn dallas keichel dylan cease and probably Ronaldo Lopez to start the season as your number five starter as Michael Kopech has to break off some rust and get back into rhythm of starting every fifth day since he hasn't pitched in a game since 2018. Do you like the idea of the White Sox starting the season with Lopez as the number five starter, Dan, knowing that Michael Kopech is waiting in the wings? Or do you think that, Again, this is another area that it might be worthwhile to spend a little money here uh, to help shore up the starting rotation to at least start the season. I think it would have been worth looking at a signing. I don't think it's necessarily a huge, huge problem. Uh, I, I like the front three. Zips is actually still remains fairly optimistic about Dylan Cease. Uh, it, it does think that he has more strikeouts in him than he showed last year. And the other projection systems are, are pretty close. Uh, now that I have it open, like Zips has him going back up to 9.1 strikeouts per nine. Steamer at 9.0. Uh, ATC to 8.6. Uh, so there are projection systems out there that largely think that his, you know, 6.8 last year was a bit of a fluke. Uh, and if he's striking out more guys, then all of a sudden he's a lot more interesting. And it would be hard for him to keep, you know, allowing home runs at the rate he did. Uh, it, it, the, those, even, even in, you know, 
130-ish games that he has in the in, innings in the majors. Even then, the home run rate will tend to regress pretty heavily towards the mean. Uh, so I, I, I think that he's an okay four starter. Uh, Lopez, as a fifth starter, I mean, that's fine. I mean, you have upside possibility in a Kopech. That's who you're looking at. Uh, when it when it comes down to it, the the general quality of fifth starters on average is pretty poor. So it might not be a big plus for the team, but I don't think it's a big minus either. Okay. All right, so that's a little bit more optimistic than how I was feeling, but you make good points. Uh, again, knock on wood. I mean, I could be grumpier if it makes you feel better, because you know I could be grumpy. Of course. it With backup catcher and the back in <laughs> the rotation, it's just injury risk, right? Just protecting yourself in case somebody is going to miss a couple of weeks. I feel with the starting rotation, the White Sox are in a better position than catcher. I mean, if Yasmani Grandal is out for two weeks... The White Sox are in hot water at the catching position. And, of course, the catching position impacts as far as your starting rotation and your bullpen. Uh, with the starting rotation, if Dallas Keuchel, again, in his back starts barking on him and it's best to put him on the 10-day injured list, at least the White Sox have upside pitchers available that they can call up and replace Keuchel, like Michael Kopech. So I feel better about the starting rotation than I do as far as the catching situation for the White Sox. Now, shifting over to DH, and this is where you are getting a lot of drum beating, Dan, on White Sox fans wanting Nelson Cruz. Uh, Despite what happened with Edwin Encarnacion this past season and his struggles, uh, there are a lot of White Sox fans that like to see Nelson Cruz or let's get crazy and let's bring in Marcel Azuna and really load up this lineup. The White Sox production out of DH the last five years has been terrible. They've only had one season with a weighted runs created plus above 100, and that was the Daniel Polka party in 2018. Polka party. I like that. Polka party. Uh, The rotating cast members, if the season were to start tomorrow at DH, would be Yerma Mercedes, Zach Collins, and Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, and maybe Yasmani Grandal whenever they need a day off their feet or you don't want Jimenez uh, hurting himself in left field. Is this rotating DH strategy a good idea to go into 2021 with? I think it's the weakest part of their offseason uh, for a few reasons. Like, like the White Sox community, I am totally down with them bringing in Nelson Cruz. Uh, one of the nice things about Nelson Cruz being old is that he's not going to require a long-term commitment. He's not asking – I assume he's not asking for a five-year contract. And even if he was, he wouldn't be getting a five-year contract. Uh, and it's hard to – there's really no such thing as a bad one-year contract uh, when it comes down to it. It's it's Because most bad contracts tend to require you know lots of overpaying at the end of a long contract – I, I think that this would have been a great opportunity for the White Sox to improve, and it has the benefit of denying the Twins. Now, normally this type of thing can be overrated, but with the Twins, very likely one of the places that he could return to, uh, I think that there's an extra benefit for the White Sox in getting Nelson Cruz because you deprive the the Twins of an easy ask because they can use him and they're still talking with him and – I think 
if they get Cruz back, then it probably puts the White Sox like a game or two behind the Twins on average. Hmm. Uh, that's not a massive amount given the uncertainty of projections. Uh, but you tend to prefer to to be the best in the division, even by a slight edge, just because you know you you want the dice in your favor as much as possible. Because yeah, I was going to ask you about it. Speaking now on January 29th and still not knowing where Nelson Cruz is going to be playing next season and considering the fact that the Twins did sign Adrelaton Simmons to be their new starting shortstop, who do you like more at this moment as the leader or I guess the preseason winner of the American League Central? Uh, well, well, Zips, just, just to start with Zips, Zips does have them like – within a game of each other. And that changes very quickly depending on how you – it comes down to your assumptions. If you say X is getting 350 plate appearances on an average instead of 450, that, that's the kind of thing that puts one team in front of the other. I think right now I think the White Sox have slightly better upside at some positions. Uh, I, I, they tend to be younger. They still have some untapped talent. I don't think the Twins have a pitching breakout candidate that who could break out the same way that Michael Kopech – could break out. Uh, so I would tend to put the White Sox ahead right now by just the tiniest sliver. Uh, but again, it's very uncertain. And even even for the Indians, as much as I've bashed them generally this offseason, it's not a completely hopeless team. And there is a set of facts that could happen that would lead them to be relevant uh, this year. Uh, it's just not super probable. Uh, but to make a very long-winded answer shorter, uh, I would take the White Sox now by a hair. And if the Twins do bring back Nelson Cruz? Then, then I think the Twins are the slight favorite. Having having Cruz back in the lineup is a pretty big deal for them. Well, we did get some fan questions here, and I, I think this is a timely one from one of our Patreon supporters, Derek Kane. Derek's asking, Dan, if the White Sox could add one more low-tier free agent, say $4 million, which position would be best for them to upgrade? Backup catcher, DH, or starting pitcher? I, I think it's still DH. Uh, you can get a part-time player there because they they do have enough bats that they can kind of, you know, paper over part of the position. Uh, but I don't think a $4 million picture is exciting. And while catcher can be co- a concern, I don't think it's as as pressing a matter as as the as the DH at bats. Uh, it really depends on it up there. I, I could see, you know... Michael Franco being an okay-ish DH for that price, uh, you know, pitching at third occasionally first. Uh, just the name, I don't know if he's my favorite. Uh, maybe even someone like Kevin Pillar to, to, to back up some of the outfield positions, maybe push him in as to DH a little more. I think he'd be available for a year at $4 million or so. Uh, I think those are kind of the names I'm thinking about. Obviously, if, they're, if they want to spend more, there's more interesting names out there. Maybe Jackie Bradley for a little more, the same kind of purpose in the outfield. Uh, I wonder what Rick Porcello would sign for. That name has been kicked around. I like that name better than hearing about, well, maybe Jeff Samarja. <laughs> the Shark. Hey, but if if if, you, if they need a wide receiver for the Bears, he could he pitch in. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> uh, another fan question that we got comes from Azenrek, and Azenrek is asking about Yohan Makata, Dan. Uh, does Zips uh, 
I guess for you, do you feel more or less confident in Mankata's Zips projection for 2021, given the uncertainty about the long-term effects of COVID-19? I, I'm not super worried. Uh, obviously, a lot of the long-term effects of COVID-19 are pretty much unknown by definition because it's only you know existed for about a year now. I tend to think that he'll probably be fine. Uh, Zips does think his batting average on balls in play will bounce back. Uh, it gives him, you know, a three-win projection, which is fine. Uh, it's something to keep in the back of your mind. I think the the player I'm more worried about is Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, who had some actual uh, definite heart issues from it. He's someone I would be more concerned about, about his health, simply because uh, I'm no uh, biology expert, but I've heard the heart is good. <laughs> like Important. It, 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 yeah, it's super crucial and you kind of need it uh so him i'd be worried worried about uh i'm not over worried about mancada i mean yeah he had a you know not a very good season uh but you know it was you know 60 a 60 game season and anyone can pretty much do anything in 60 games uh, another question that we got comes from andrew siegel and I, I like this question dan he's asking you dan you talked in the past about the value of a banked win early on in the season in projections since our best hope for the White Sox doing any additional roster manipulation would seem to be at or around the trade deadline, have you ever quantified the value of a banked win earlier in the season versus a midseason win, or all wins equal in value? It, it's it's tricky because it, it, it depends on what time frame you're looking at the wins. How you evaluate the win will be different than when you're making that decision, which is a weird way to put it. Uh, I think that, you know, I'd prefer to have a win early simply because a win puts me in a better position where I have a better tactical advantage. Uh, I guess if you like tell a, a general of a, of a, of an army that you can, that you're going to win one battle and lose one battle, they'd rather win the one battle first and kind of have more control over their destiny. I assume I'm, I'm making a, an, an example in which I can't answer. So I can't necessarily be proven wrong right now. <laughs> Uh, and I, and that's the point. That's the point, folks. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I think I'd prefer the early wing just to keep my tactical my my opportunities open. You want because you win you, you when you're a, a a a sixty and forty team, you have a lot more options than a forty and sixty team. Even if you knew ahead of time that it was all going to even out, uh, I don't. I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe in predestination, uh, and I think that you always have a chance to to change your fate. So so take take the wins when you can get them. And the last question comes from me. We talked about the DH and the rotating. So I want to, I'm going to pitch this idea to you because the projections do not look pretty for this player. And that player is Andrew Vaughn. When we talked about the rotating cast of players to start the season at DH, it might be reality that the White Sox start that way in April, but come May, they call up Andrew Vaughn to be the full-time DH and have him in the lineup every single day for the rest of the season. We talked about missing a minor league season in 2020. That obviously hurts the White Sox in their evaluation with Andrew Vaughn because he's only played a little since being drafted uh, in the minor leagues. But how do you feel about that idea of the White Sox punting at the DH, not signing anyone, 
because they are very confident in Andrew Vaughn's ability to hit on the major league level. And they plan on calling him up sometime in early May after the first month of the season to become the full-time DH. I, I think that, I mean, he has a great deal of upside. Uh, you look at the projections, and they reflect that he has very little professional experience and that there's a significant risk in, you know, having him just go warp to the majors. Uh, you'll see that next year, I think, with Spencer Torkelson's projections. Uh, I, I think that it's a little risky for my blood. I think that, I mean, you talk about signing Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz isn't going to require a long-term deal that would block anybody on the team. Uh, it doesn't change Andrew Vaughn's eventual White Sox fate if the White Sox have Nelson Cruz. Uh, now, let's say that, that Nelson Cruz signs with the White Sox. Just Let's pretend they have money and, and they can get him to agree, against no matter what he feels. Uh, and, you know, they have Cruz on the team and he's rocking it. And Andrew Vaughn's in the minors and he's, you know, slugging 700 after two months. I don't think that's a bad problem to have. I don't think a team's ever really had, you know, too much talent at a position as a problem. Uh, that, that always presents an opportunity. Uh, and I think then maybe you can be creative with some of your lineups. You try to fit as many of them in as you can. Uh, I, I think that it would be a good thing, and I don't think the White Sox would suffer if they had, you know, too much talent at DH or first base or a corner outfield position. Uh, so I, I don't think it's necessarily a problem, and I would still like them to be a little, again, less risky. I think if this were last year and we didn't know if the White Sox were going to be a contender, I think there's a better case for doing that. But I think where they are now, knowing that the Indians are a much worse team than they were last year, I think that's a little too risky for me. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel as well. And it's very different on how they handled Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez because both of those hitters destroyed the minor leagues and the White Sox refused to call them up to try to manipulate service time. But ultimately, uh, that didn't matter because they signed long-term contracts with both Jimenez and Robert. And now it seems like you're going to complete reversal if you decide to go forward with this plan. Andrew Vaughn has only played a ball in Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, and it wasn't all that impressive, but again, it was a very long year for him because he started the year playing college baseball out in Cal. He didn't, he just did the Schaumburg as far as minor league camp all season long. He didn't see any playing time in the majors in 2020. And now you feel confident and comfortable having him be the full-time DH in a season you're hoping to win the American League Central and the American League Pennant. I just see, I, I, I look at that idea, Dan, and it's just, it's too far-fetched, but I continually keep hearing this from my sources within the White Sox organization, that this is the route that they want to go. Yeah, I kind of get that impression as well. Uh, obviously, I'd like to change that route from the perspective of the White Sox. Uh, I mean... Given how successful uh, uh, Robert was, it's it's tempting to do that thing. But one thing to remember, of course, is that Robert's projections were bananas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were crazy. I, I know we talked about – they were. And I, I talked about last year about his defensive upside, uh, that Zips's uh, play-by-play tracking of minor league uh, defensive data had him as the second-best outfielder in the minors in 2019 defensively and how he could do much better than I think it was a six or an eight – plus win, excuse me, not six to eight wins, six to eight run projection in center field as a full-timer. And he was really darn good out there. 
but I, I don't think that, that Vaughn is in the same category because he just doesn't have the numbers yet. And I think that, you know, it could be I, – I believe in challenging your best prospects, but you also want to not just rush them before they get, you know, the fundamentals down. You really kind of want them to, to at least beat up pictures in each level before they move on. And, and Robert did, uh, and Vaughn really hasn't yet. And I think that – I mean it, it could work out, but I think it's just very, very risky. Yeah, and that's what it's looking like right now when we – again, these conversations we continue to have. Backup catcher, back into the rotation, the DH strategy. These seem to be pretty risky decisions the White Sox are making heading into a season that they are hoping to be one of the leading contenders in the American League. We'll see. Maybe the White Sox, specifically Jerry Reinsdorf, changes their mind, especially if they after they listen to this podcast episode. Um, but you could read Dan's always excellent work on Fangraphs.com. You can follow him on Twitter at DZimborski. He also hosts a midweek online chat. And I say midweek because for the life of me, I can't remember which day you are. Thursday. Again. Thursday. It used to be Monday. Right. Uh but but Jay has some babysitting duties, uh, and I'm a team player, so I gave up my 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 coveted uh, Monday spot uh, for Thursday, which, which is sometimes a problem because given the uh, pandemic, I sometimes forget what day of the week it is. <laughs> and it was easier when there was a Monday, you because Monday feels different, mm-hmm. but Thursday doesn't feel different anymore. No, it does not. But on Thursdays, you can go to Fangraphs.com around 11 a.m. Central Time uh, to hop in the online chat. And Dan will answer your questions there so you can pester him about baseball and the meaning of life. And Dan, as always, thanks for coming on the show and uh, hopefully look forward to chatting with you before opening day. Always a blast, Josh. Thanks for having me on. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. That will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I do want to let you know that our good friends over at From the 108 are hosting a virtual after party. In spite of having our normal SoxFest parties and activities since SoxFest has been canceled this year. And that after party is going to be on their YouTube channel. Both Jim Margulis and I are involved with that show, along with other guests from Chicago media and blogs to talk about the Chicago White Sox. You can watch that video on the From the 108 YouTube channel. If you enjoy our work at Sox Machine, consider helping to support us at patreon.com slash Machine. There, our Patreon supporters get a chance to ask questions to our guests, like this week with Dan. They also receive an ad-free version of the podcast and exclusive content. Rates start at just $2 a month for support. And again, you can sign up at patreon.com slash Machine. If you are new to the show, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. 
I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening to the Sox Machine Podcast. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie in tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.